Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. And it is quite the plot twist in my life story. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Joining me on the podcast journey is producer and reporter Nikki Reitmeyer. And in this episode... How Parkinson's impacts the narratives that we have about the people in our lives. Hey, Larry. Oh, hey, Nikki. Come take a seat with me. Okay. Ready to talk Parkinson's? Sure. So how are you doing today? How frank do you want me to be? (laughs) What do you mean, how frank? Well... Do you really want to know how I'm doing today, or are you just making nice talk? No, I I really want to know. Okay. Well, yeah, it's hard to tell when you have Parkinson's, because, you know, everybody asks how you're doing because they're worried about you, but yeah. they don't really, really want to know all the time how you're really doing. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So I, I feel like it's when I start to share exactly how I feel, that I have to so almost backpedal and make people feel better about me having Parkinson's. Do you think that doing that, though, helps you comfort yourself at the same time? Like Uh, you're assuring yourself that it's okay by assuring other people that it's okay? No, because then uh, I feel like I'm I'm having to make people feel better about who I am. So it doesn't really, it actually, it, it keeps me from just being me. And doing me so when you're explaining to other people and comforting other people about your parkinson's you're not larry gifford you're the sick boy well yeah because like we just in the office how you doing today well that's that question was never loaded until i came out with my diagnosis and now it's like uh, how much do i want to share and how much do you want to know? And all these things go into my head. Yeah, and who are you asking that question to? Are you asking that to Larry or are you asking that to sick Larry? Right, and I, I don't know oftentimes. And then if I say, oh, I'm good, they're like, oh, it's a good day? And I'm like, oh, you wanted the other uh, answer. you wanted the sick Larry. <laughs> <laughs> He's here too. I can bring him forward. And then it's trying to live up to, like, like I'm just living life. And then, but... F- for everybody else, they're like, you're living life with somebody who's sick, who's got this thing, who's, but everybody's got their thing. And so then, then it's figuring out how do I just live life? And, you know, my, when I go to counseling, they, she, my counselor tells me, she goes, 
however you would have answered it before is probably how you should answer it now. So there's some people that you're going to get more in depth with and other people you're just going to go, I'm fine. Do you think that as a result, you've started to enjoy conversations with strangers a little bit more? There's something about the anonymity that is maybe refreshing in a conversation with a stranger that you might not have enjoyed before? Yeah, I'm much more comfortable just, uh, I guess, more accepting of different people because um, they don't have any preconceived notions of who I am and I don't know who they are. So it's just sort of like you can you can be real. And that's, I think sometimes we go through life with all these people that we know and we're not as real as we can be uh, because people have an expectation of what you should be based on how they know you. So when I'm with my college friends, they expect me to be college Larry. And when I'm with my brothers and sisters, they expect me to be the youngest brother. Uh, and when I'm at work, I'm the program director. And so everybody has an expectation of how you should behave or how or they position you in their life the way that you should be. Which is why when you announce you have Parkinson's, it throws everybody for a loop. That kind of makes sense because... You recognize that everybody has you pegged as a certain character in their lives. And all of a sudden, you've thrown everybody for a loop by announcing that, in fact, there's a different element to you that they didn't expect. I was miscast in your life story. (laughs) Yeah. Now they don't know where to put you. And you're going, "Uh, it's okay. This is who I am. But, but, but you can still think of me as the other guy, too. And you're maybe overcompensating now to make them feel comfortable in the way that they'd originally cast you. Well, because they, they want you to be okay because that's how you were in their story. Right. So let's get specific. How has your mom dealt with you being recast in this narrative that she has about you? You know, your mom of all people. Yeah, that's a, that's, oh, that's a good one. When I was talking to my brothers and sisters about Parkinson's and we heard from them last episode, mom was one of the things that Bruce, Dan, and Tracy all brought up. You know, what mom has said since we were children is everything happens for a reason. You know, talk to mom who, with what dad went through, and then her, you know, having her youngest child have, you know, have, having, starting to go through this was, you know, she was clearly upset. I talked to mom fairly regularly about it. Does that help? Uh, sometimes it helps. Sometimes it makes me worry about mom. Why? Because mom has a tough time dealing with this. She's having a tough time. Mom is 78. She always has a cup of coffee, and she can always be found at the kitchen table knitting an afghan. <laughs> I'm Marty Gifford. I live in Florida. I'm Larry Gifford's mother. What did you think about the first time you heard that I had Parkinson's? I was astounded. That was for old people. How how, how have you been accepting it since? Well, I've done a lot of reading, and I found out that it's not for old people, that there's a lot of young people that have it, but... Most of them have been quiet about it, so we didn't know that that many young people had it, except for Michael J. Fox. Yeah. 
and I always knew that his foundation was very good and that he was doing a lot to, um, you know, do a lot of studies about it. But after I found out that you had been diagnosed with it, then in the, our local paper where I live in a retirement community, they have a lot of uh, groups, support groups for people in Sun City Center, Florida that have it. It's for their families, it's for their caretakers. Uh, Brandon, Florida has a big uh, organization that they uh, support, so I've learned a lot about it. And it's one of those things that you have to deal with what you're dealt. When did you first notice that, before my diagnosis, that maybe something was off? Uh, I wondered for quite a while why you walked the way you walked. But because I'm so far away, I thought, well, maybe you had always uh, walked a little differently, and I hadn't noticed that. But the uh, when we were visiting you on Christmas before you were diagnosed, I noticed that you really had something wrong with the way you walked. What did you think it could be? I don't know. I just thought... Actually, I thought maybe it was because that you are a little overweight. I thought it had something to do with the weight factor. Yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. Well, I thought my shoes were heavy and I was heavy. <laughs> well, maybe both. But, but no, I thought it had something to do with, with the weight, actually. Yeah, what's the hardest part? That it's you and not me. You have your life to live. And your child, your wife, in my life, I've had a wonderful life. So I'm at the end of the candle, and you're not. One of the things that both of us have been doing since the diagnosis is searching back in time to see if there's any signs or anything that could have triggered it. Because like one of the things is that we just don't know how Parkinson's manifests, like what, right. what causes Parkinson's. And so, you know, one of the things that we do, which probably isn't helpful, is <laughs> we go back <laughs> into our brains, like, well, what was different about my childhood? So I'll just ask you that question. What was different about my childhood compared to maybe my siblings? Well, the one thing that was different was that your delivery at birth. And you tended to uh, be a little different than the rest of them, which is not a bad thing. But you uh, were born not breathing because you were born chin first instead of head first. And so the doctor had to give you mouth to mouth and you did not breathe for less than a minute and when you started breathing. And they had us watch you when you were little and everything seemed to be okay, but I've always wondered if maybe that didn't do something to one little part of your brain in that little second. Yeah. And then I was also sick a lot my first year. Right. And that was, you, you always had a runny nose, which used to really bother me. You were the youngest of four children, and I had this one with the nose running all the time. And we had, they finally did a blood test on you, and you were allergic to your own antibi antibodies. 
and they told me that you would probably outgrow that when you were a year old, and you did. Yeah. So those were just a couple little things that were really different. Another thing is that the four of you had a lot of, and me included, had a lot of a strep throat when you were little. And so, therefore, you were on a lot of penicillin, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the f- funny part of that is that I'm now allergic to penicillin. So this mm-hmm. is, you know. Yeah. But those, were, those things, you were a little bit different. The other thing is that I noticed, and it didn't matter to me, but you were never as coordinated as the other children. I was the ugly duckling. No, you, no, you were actually very cute. Everybody thought you were so adorable. But, uh, you know, they yeah. were very involved in sports and team sports. And you tried them all, and I watched and suffered through them all. <laughs> But you were not athletic. You just didn't have that coordination that the rest of them had. Yeah, and and is that because I just didn't have it or because something was, you know, wrong with my brain? Oh, I think you got it from your dad because I was more yeah. coordinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I want to know how Becky, uh, take, uh, how does she cope with all this? I guess I just focus on the present as much as possible. Kind of be in the moment of what do we have to deal with today? What do we, what's going on right in the moment? What's the best way to handle that? How do I stay calm? How do I support you? How do I support Henry? And then try not to be in the future too much because that's where all the uncertainty is. We honestly have no idea how this is gonna play out. And there's really no use in worrying about it. So trying, so staying in the in the present moment. And part of that is just really, we're very fortunate. We're very, we have a really good life okay. considering everything. And we've made some choices and we've also had some good luck and, and just kind of focusing on those things and making the most of making it rem- remain a full rich life. And that's, that's how, I mean, it's the simplest way, I guess, to put how I deal with it. Do I have moments when I just want to curse at the sky and, or I get really annoyed or I catch myself having a reaction to something that's because of your Parkinson's and I catch myself like getting frustrated and a little angry about it or irritated or something. And then, I, you know, you kind of have to pull yourself back and get back into the moment again. Um, and then into a more grateful attitude, I suppose. But that's that's the big picture way, I suppose. Well, and if I'm honest with myself, the first let's see, as I go in August, September, October, November, December, January, February, probably the first seven months, I drank a lot, and I ate a lot of foods that are just were comfort foods. Yeah. And tried to cope with it that way. Well, what is this name? And didn't work very well. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, I wasn't, you know, out of control. So but, now you're getting it under control? Yeah. Yeah. And we're more mindful of what we eat and our diet and exercise and, 
you know, it's it's one of those things where you, you try to try to it takes a while to mourn the death of your past life and realize what's coming forward and what you have to do to live now. And um, there's a lot of things that you you do to cope with it, and everybody's different. But like for me, it was food, food, and alcohol, wine, wine <laughs> or whiskey, or um, and then like uh, there was days where I'd just go off my meds because I'm like, well, I feel pretty good. I, maybe it's gone away. Oh, gone away. <laughs> You know, you, well, it's like... That was wishful thinking. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. So so then you have to get to a point where you're ready to, you know, accept it as part of your new normal. You're still the same person. You're just still the same with some problems. Yeah. But guess what? I've got arthritis and some problems too. And if somebody tells you they don't have any problems, they're lying. We all have whatever we have. And exactly. We've got to deal with it and live our life. And Yeah. We just have I, to go on. And we we might cry a lot, but we go on. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Um, you're welcome. I love you. I love you. Oh, I love your mom. I love how she related to you at the end and said, Look, Larry, you know, everybody's got problems. I've got problems. You just have some different maybe more complicated problems. Right. Yeah, well, she's, you know, she's been through a lot. You know, her yeah. husband died 15 years ago. And, yeah. you know, when that happens, you think, well, the, what, what, what possibly could there be to live for? And then she found a new partner. And so, you know, everybody finds their way in this life. And we all have problems. And so it's just figuring out how to wake up each day and move forward. Well, it's no surprise that this hasn't been easy for her, you know, just as this journey obviously hasn't exactly been a cakewalk for you. But Larry, after hearing you speak with your mom today and your siblings in the last episode, I really wanted to get an idea of how a Parkinson's diagnosis typically impacts family members. So I invited Courtney Doherty into the studio. Now, Courtney is a registered clinical counselor. She works for the Parkinson's society as a counselor and she works for the Canadian Mental Health Association. So Larry, I don't think you'll be surprised when I say that just like we heard from you and your family, a Parkinson's diagnosis can have a really big impact on everybody that you're close to. I would say it has a ripple effect on the entire family and close friends as well. You know, um, just like it is a loss for the person actually diagnosed, it can be a loss for family members. So different, you know, symptoms might make roles in the family change. So, you know, maybe the person with Parkinson's was the main cook in the family, but then some of their symptoms progress so that they can't really chop things as easily. And so, you know, roles are constantly shifting. I think that it's a constant learning curve because with Parkinson's, it is a progressive disease. And so what that means is that it's not just one loss, it's in a way a series of losses because once you sort of become familiar with the way things are and you get comfortable and kind of figure out your new normal, then something else might happen and then something else. And so it's a constant learning process. It's going to be constantly shifting and trying to be flexible with one another. I think it's so important to have open communication and that can be really hard 
hard, especially in the face of a diagnosis. Um, People will want to shut down. Some people might be really comfortable talking and sharing emotions. But I really, really would encourage people to find a new openness with their families and to be able to share their thoughts and emotions because it really will help to reduce some anxiety. Those Mm -hmm. family members, is it common for them to feel guilt? Because I kind Mm -hmm. of imagine that you know, you might feel guilty Mm -hmm. um, because a person is going through this and you're not. Or Mm -hmm. you might feel guilty because you get frustrated with them and you know that you should be feeling sympathetic. 100%. Um, You said it. I the other day had a couple caregivers or care partners, we we sort of use that term interchangeably, that I, I spoke to in the same day and every single one of them was saying, I feel so guilty that I just can't be more patient. And, you know, I feel for them, they're going through this. They can't, you know, they can't control their symptoms and what they're doing. And I really encourage them to have some compassion for themselves. So self-compassion. Interesting. So compassion for themselves Themselves. as well as the person that has the diagnosis. Of course, both. Because while sure, it'd be great if they could be patient all the time, they're also dealing with a lot and they never really probably envision their lives to be playing out this way. And, um, you know, having to all of a sudden take on this role that they never really were prepared to take on. So um, of course, having compassion for themselves while also having compassion for their loved one that they're trying to care for. Um, it's it's so important, so important to take care of yourself. I think we all know that, you know, age old um, analogy of on the airplane, you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help anybody else. So you really, as family members, need to take care of yourself uh, before you can really full heartedly take care of others. Um yeah, and and I would also encourage the person with Parkinson's to accept help because that can be a really difficult one as well. You know, it's hard for them often to admit that they might need some help and they might not always need help. So again, that's where communication comes into play. So, you know, if, if somebody's struggling with buttoning up their shirt and the caregiver, the partner, the family member just goes to help them all of a sudden, that can be very, very um maddening for the person with Parkinson's because, you know, it's like, no, I can do this. Just give me some space. Uh, So really having that communication open. So asking them, you know, when you're struggling, do you want me to ask you if you need help before I just jump in? So based on Courtney's perspective, opening up communication with family is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And you seem to have basically done that instinctively. I'm I'm passing my Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever wish, though, that you were still that character in their story that you know, formally they'd perceived you to be? Sure, yeah. Would I rather not have Parkinson's? You bet. Um, it changes everything. You know, the other day my son, we were talking about, he's nine and he loves cars and he he wants a fancy car for his 16th birthday. I'm like, well, you you raise half the money and your mom and I will put up the other half. And he goes, are you still going to be around then? Wow. And I'm like, oh, we have some explaining to do. Because <laughs> Parkinson's doesn't kill you. Uh, but in his mind, I'm really sick. If we're talking about having to explain yourself to people in order to make them feel comfortable... The explaining of yourself that you have to do to your son is on a whole different other level 
than what we were just discussing, explaining yourself to, you know, coworkers or a relative that you haven't seen for a while or an old high school friend on Facebook. Having to comfort your son is a totally different approach. What has that been like? It, it, you start very simply. Um, and you, you know, he, he obviously notices I walk differently and I can't do all the things. I can't roughhouse like I used to. Like, um, some days I, I just need to go take a nap because I'm really tired or my arms are sore. Or, um, and uh, so you just sort of talk him through that. You know, last night he goes, hey, hey, dad, I've, I have one question about your Parkinson's. I said, what's that? He goes, well, why do you walk the way you walk? And so it gave me an opportunity to talk to him through that process. And, you know, how my brain can't send the message as fast to the right side of my body as it can to the left side. So my left is ahead, and so it sort of drags my foot behind. And then he sort of he goes like this, and he demonstrated what that might look like. Um, but those questions don't come up frequently. It's just when, when he's ready to ask. So we don't talk about it all the time. Um, but you know, it's it's part of our daily life. Thing you know, he'll 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 point out that my arm's shaking, or you know, I'll come home from work and he'll want to play, and he wants to play on the floor with you know race cars and whatnot, which is course, awesome because yeah. I love that. But I can't always physically do that. And so the other day he goes, "Hey, hey, Dad, you you want to play?" And I'm like, "Yeah, let's play." And he goes. Well, today, let's play relax in the backyard. And I'm like, oh, I love relaxing in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he's intuitive enough to know when I'm having a good day or a bad day and uh, compensates for me. Do you find that the more comfortable he gets with learning about his dad having Parkinson's, the more questions that he asks you over time, the more he wants to know about it? Yeah. I mean, it's he also... You know, I presume would just re- like to have a regular dad who doesn't have Parkinson's. Yeah, but what's a regular dad? Everybody's got something. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. Do you feel self-conscious then that you are a, a I don't want to say this, but that you're a burden on your son? Well, I certainly slow him down. Like he wants to go to the park and my <laughs> he, he wants to run ahead and I'll always run ahead. And uh, I, don't, I don't know that I'm a burden. Uh, well, maybe I am. But, um, hell, maybe I am a burden. Um, but I think ultimately we'll find our way. Uh, it's, it, it's finding a new normal to our life and to the rhythm of our life and what we do as a family. Uh, just like I'm finding a new normal at work and a new normal, you know, I'm, you know, in how I get around the city. You know, I used to drive all the time and now I take the bus or take a taxi and, uh, I don't, I, drive maybe once a week where I used to have my own car and I used to drive everywhere but now I I don't have that confidence in myself to react in time if there would be a close call so it's just safer for me to not drive hey Parkinson's is good for the environment yes that's it (laughs) seriously though I've known you for a little while now what does it feel like to be so open and vulnerable Freeing, scared, exhausting, relieving. You know, I'm kind of to the point where it's easier to be an open book. And I want to get to the point where I don't care what you think about my Parkinson's. That's that's a journey. Um, But 
I'm modeling after others I've met. Um, for instance, the Sick Boy podcast, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, Taylor McGilvery. We met these guys in the first episode. They're fearless. They're fearless. They're not afraid to get real, share their unvarnished truths, and talk about or ask any question that comes to their mind, which is wow. Um, here's Jeremy and Brian making me go deep on their podcast. Out of everything you've gone through so far, what would you say is the biggest thing that Parkinson's has taken away from you? My certainty. My ability to walk through life feeling like I, I'm in control of myself. And what would you say it's, is the biggest thing that it's given you? Perspective um, and a, a clarity of the now, like just being here. And, and and not getting so caught up in the bullshit of every day. And, you know, when my son says, you want to go play, you know, whenever I can, I say, yeah, let's go. Mm -hmm. Where before it was like, oh, well, let me relax here. Yeah. How do you find your, your, like, your, like, emotional happiness? It, like, if you, before learning that you had Parkinson's and, and now living with Parkinson's, like... Where do you, where would you put your happiness levels during both of those times? Uh, I was really happy, I guess. I mean, we, we live a happy life. Uh, I've had good jobs. I've have great son, good good marriage. Um, it's interesting about Parkinson's is it it sort of fades your emotions away like your physical like facial features and stuff so like your mm. people can't read you as well so you become a better poker player right <laughs> um, but join the world tour if you don't drop but, the but I find I need to force happiness more or f be more mindful of being happy or 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 you put on you fake it till you make it some mm. some days there's more mm. effort a lot more effort mm. yeah Forcing happiness. Wow, that's a really interesting idea. I guess I never really thought about you having to fake happiness. Well, and it didn't occur to me too until I thought about it. You know, some days you forget to smile. Like it used to be an automatic thing, and it doesn't happen as organically as it used to. I get less authentic joy from everyday life. I still get joy and experience joy, but it's less it's more muted um and it, it can be part of somebody's parkinson's experience each episode larry and his wife rebecca talk about how they're dealing with the issues that we've discussed here so far question for you how how are you dealing with me being recast in your life uh some days okay some days great, uh, some days not so great. There's a, there's definitely a sense of loss. You don't, you're not the same character in my narrative anymore. And while you were always allowed to evolve and you've evolved, great, evolved greatly and changed a lot during our relationship, there certainly was a vision of the future that did not include Parkinson's. I, I know what's true, which is that I love you and that I'm 
committed to this relationship and to our family. I get I still get a ton of joy out of out of every day and I'm grateful for what we have. And the rest of it works itself out. And I should clarify, you still bring me tons of joy. <laughs> but I don't have as much joy in everyday life as I used to. I know. I know I knew what you meant by that. I did not I did not take that personally when you, when you said that. I knew what you meant. Because I've been experiencing, I've been witnessing that. And until we had a diagnosis, I guess I didn't really attribute it to anything other than just you kind of getting older and less uh, exuberant, I guess. So maturing and calming and being more grounded and being more centered. And I just what I always attributed this to kind of their calming down that was happening and smiling less and laughing less not being less happy as far as I could tell but just expressing yourself less exuberantly and now to know that it wasn't just <laughs> maturity or I getting older I wasn't actually or, more mature right? <laughs> <laughs> certainly <laughs> no of course not no. Um, no, it, and then it was actually part of the disease process. That's that's a, a very um, that was a surprising part of this. What we're discovering about this disease. After we stopped recording, my wife asked me how I'm dealing with being recast in my own life story. Hmm. Part of me is sad. Part of me is scared. I'm nervous, angry, and confused. When I'm open to it, I can see the light, the opportunity, the gift, gifts of friendship, mindfulness, health, community, purpose, advocacy. I've been in radio for nearly 30 years, and telling my Parkinson's story is the most important way I've found to use my voice. It's certainly not the part I thought I was playing. Disease guy wasn't on my life's call sheet. It does, however, remind me of a monologue in Shakespeare's As You Like It, and you've heard this before. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. This monologue goes on to describe the seven ages of man, from infancy to old age. We are constantly evolving and are called upon to play unexpected roles throughout life. Parkinson's is just one character trait of one of these roles in my life. Not everyone is ready to tell their story yet like Larry has. But when you are ready, try starting by sharing the news with family first. Get comfortable and over time, tell some close friends. Recognize that you may feel a variety of emotions, anger, denial, frustration, fear, confusion, disbelief, and sadness. Proceed at your own pace. Stay connected with those who are close to you. Support each other and ask for help when you need it. That's just one step of a 10-step plan from Parkinson Canada to help you cope with a diagnosis. You can find all 10 steps online at parkinson.ca. On the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. I was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease at age 24. And I didn't know really what was going on. I'd retired, and so I thought, well, maybe this is an effect of retirement. 
My GP recommended me to a psychiatrist, and after some period of time, he said, I think you should see a neurologist because I think you might have Parkinson's. And when I'm, like, having a really bad anxiety attack or turning into a panic attack, I feel like I need something that I don't have. I've uh, been recommended to uh, try CBD oil. Uh, I have Parkinson's, and so I have trouble sleeping. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I don't know how to use it or what, what I should do. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of options. Especially my anxiety, my panic attacks, it's been really hard. And I just took the cannabis oil, and I squeezed it under my tongue, and then I realized I wasn't looking in the mirror, and I don't know how much I squeezed. <laughs> I think it was just a drop or so. Uh, we'll find out. Sweet dreams. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our partner, Parkinson Canada. Oh, all sorts of great information and resources are available at parkinson.ca. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this right now. And while you're there, give the show a rating and feel free to comment too. We want to hear your thoughts. Give it a good rating. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely a good rating. <laughs> Just a few clicks really helps. The more this podcast grows, the more attention Parkinson's receives, the more money we can raise for research and the closer we get to a cure. You can also engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email us at Parkinson's Pod at CuriousCast.com. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.